Is your student less than motivated when it comes to reading or math? This is the Homeschool Sanity Show, the episode where Dr. Lee Jenkins shares creative ideas for motivating learners. I'm Dr. Melanie Wilson, Christian psychologist turned homeschool mom and curriculum author. And this is the podcast, helping you wave goodbye to worry and say hello to a happy homeschool. Hey, homeschoolers. As a psychologist, mother, and now a guide for homeschool parents, I have a great interest in motivation. Before I introduce my guest, I want to thank my sponsor for this episode, 5,000 Blankets. From a firm film, the studio that brought you miracles from heaven comes 5,000 Blankets. A woman and her young son, Philip, set out to find his missing father on the streets, sparking a movement that inspires a city. There are over five thousand homeless souls in this city alone. So it is Philip's wish to reach each and every one of them with a comforting gesture. Inspired by a true story. 5,000 Blankets. In theaters for two nights only, December 12th and 13th. Rated PG-13. Maybe inappropriate for children under 13. More information is available at 5,000blanketsmovie.com. I was happy to have Dr. Jenkins join me for the podcast to share creative ideas for engaging our kids in the learning process. Lyle Lee Jenkins is an author, speaker, consultant, and a recognized expert in improving educational outcomes. The author of How to Create a Perfect School, All About Henry, his newest release, How to Create a Perfect Homeschool, and 15 other books, Lee has spent the last 50 years learning from world-class experts while working as a teacher, principal, school superintendent, and university professor. Lee's speaking career has taken him across the U.S., Latin America, Europe, and Asia, and he has taught online courses to educators from more than 25 countries. His mission is providing innovative solutions for the most perplexing education problems. I hope you enjoy our chat as much as I did. Dr. Jenkins, thank you so much for joining me here on the Homeschool Sanity Show. I was hoping that we could start off by having you tell us a little bit more about yourself and about your family and also your connection to homeschooling. I can do that, yes. My my career has been in uh, the public schools. And if I were to give you uh, a, a typical resume of different positions held, it would mean nothing to you. (laughs) But if I told you the eight people that were world-class, and I'm not exaggerating, that greatly influenced my life, who happened to be classroom teachers, all but seven of the eight, uh, at one time or another, you, you would say, oh, that's how he learned this. It's not from the positions, it's from the people that God brought into my life that have influenced what I've learned, what I know, okay? Yeah. So, and, and so it's really a, a relationship bio is what would be meaningful. My, collect, my connection to homeschool is rather recent because uh, Kelly Lippert, that, that I've worked with for the last year and a half, her, her husband's on the staff at my church. And they lived about 40 minutes from the church and got a home within a minute of the church a year and a half ago. And then, and I found that she had three children and was homeschooling them. 
And so we started working together. And I have been hours there at their home and on the phone and talking and and so and people say because because Kelly did teach uh, elementary school for several years and they say oh it's going to be easier for her no no it's harder <laughs> she had so much to unlearn and and unlearning uh, we know is much harder than learning so we have had a, just a great time we're teaching a class together at our church during the second service for homeschool families. And after I finish sharing uh, some details, all the attention turns to her to say, okay, how did this go, Kelly? <laughs> okay, and see if they want her details. So we have a great deal of um, intense uh, involvement, but not for a long period of time. But these eight people that influenced life, life so much, what they taught me is, in, is involved in her homeschool. It's all there. All right. Well, that's wonderful. Well, I know that because of your exposure to homeschoolers, I am wondering what you have picked up as being the biggest need of the homeschoolers that you have met and how do you hope to meet that need? Okay. The biggest need, and this comes from Kelly, talking to other homeschool parents. They want confidence that they can do the job without having to buy a packaged program and use it. So if you look at uh, the problems that have been in the, in the school systems for years, not just the recent ones, but for years, is that systems buy a packaged program, and then uh, at the worst schools, they inspect the teachers to make sure they're on the right page on the right day, and they're not free to teach. So then, but then the homeschool moms that are teaching this, they have that same fear that they're not going to do it right, so they go on and buy one of these programs. It's the same as what the schools are using with a new cover on it. Mm -hmm. And and they want and so they need confidence that they don't need to do that. Mm -hmm. So then, what do I offer? If you were to go into the uh, garage or shop of somebody who was excellent in their craft, it could be any. Doesn't matter what it is. They're just excellent at their craft. What do you see? You see all kinds of tools, superbly organized, and the expert knows exactly where everything is and what it's good for. That's what I provide to the, the home educators. I give them the, the toolkit they need to have confidence that they can meet the needs of their child at any moment, no matter whether it's reading, whether it's writing, whether it's math, whether it's history, whether it's art, doesn't matter what it is. They have the tool set there to do it and, the comp and know how to use it and when. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. The other thing that I provide um, for the, them is, uh, do you see right above my head, you see the word perfect school. I talked to them, okay, well, so what is perfect? You need to know what perfect is because that guides you. So I say to them, okay, we're going to tell you what a perfect school is, in my opinion. Okay, you might disagree, but it'll be my opinion. And then you want to say to yourself, you'll never be perfect. And then say to yourself, well, where are we now? 
And then you strive to get closer and closer to perfect. So what is perfect? Well, in my mind, a perfect is that the intrinsic motivation to learn that children were born with and they brought with them to kindergarten is maintained the next 12 years. Because if the kids are as excited to learn when they're 15 as they once were at five, there's no holding them back. Mm -hmm. But um, I've asked 3,000 teachers what grade they teach, what percent of their kids love school. It starts off close to 100% in kindergarten. Time we get to grade nine is 37% still love school. Mm-hmm. And, that's, and we don't know why they love school from that. It could be the football team. It could be the charity. <laughs> okay? It could be the band. So then I ask other people as a follow-up, just tell me, um, what, what percent of the kids in high school are as excited about learning uh, in high schools they once were in kindergarten? I always get under 10%. Mm. Now, the homeschool families, if they're not careful, can have that same problem. Um, because they demand that kids finish this expensive program they bought, so then the tool to help them along this journey is comes from John Hattie. He's an Australian, Australian educator. And he gave us the triplet skill, will, and thrill. It's not just skill. It's skill, will, and thrill. So obviously we want them to know the skill. I mean, there's no doubt about that. That's what we want. But we have to protect the will to work hard and the thrill has to come from learning. So if we protect the will and thrill, the skill will come higher than we ever expected, and we will move closer and closer to perfect, even though we have some bad days from time to time. So that's what I offer the parents, is the skill, will, and thrill. That's your mantra. That's what's always in your mind. Am Am I doing things that keep the will and thrill alive so that the skill can be, when we launch them off to college or other things, is they have the skill they want, because I protected the will and the throat. Excellent. Well, I totally enthusiastically support what you're talking about. And, and in fact, I have talked about those things using different words, but um, I, I just think that's excellent. Okay, so I know because I am asked about this a lot, I have created my own language arts curriculum called Grammar Galaxy for students who are already reading. But I have many parents whose children are not yet reading fluently. And so I know that that is a big concern and understandably so for parents. Do you have suggestions for these parents whose children are not yet where they need to be with reading? I have a lot of suggestions. Okay. Okay. Um, the, the most important reading skill for kids is to know that they can make a go of reading. Because once, they, once the kids start saying to their parents, oh, I can't read, I don't know how to read, it's a struggle. So we want them to always know they can make a go of reading. And so I would say that starts uh, two, age two and three. And how does it start? It starts with taking dictation. Children draw in all the time. They're drawing something. And we want to be the, the ones who hoard paper that's printed on one side and it's blank on the back side and we just got stacks of this. And they draw. 
And when they finish their drawing, what do we do? We take another sheet of paper and attach it to their drawing and say, tell me about your picture. Because the first thing they need to learn about reading is that the words they speak, they can read with their eyes. And, and mom or dad, or an older brother or sister, take the dictation and write it down, and then they read it back. So that they know that the words on the paper are the same as the words they speak. That's the first thing, okay? Then, of course, it's impossible to pour too much language in their heads. We know that from reading to them and reading to them. So then, when it comes to, to the reading fluency, uh, they need uh, they need books they need whole book success okay uh, worksheets won't do it now that doesn't mean you never want worksheets I'm not saying that I'm saying that to build the confidence that they can read they mean they need to read whole books cover to cover Bill Martin jr who wrote brown bear brown bear and chicka chicka boom boom was a close friend of mine and um, he he um, he gave me the word, whole book success. It's like the Germans do. They take, they take word, all these syllables and put them together in a giant word with 25 letters. So he made it into one word, whole book success, because it's one thing, isn't it? Okay? And that's what they need is to read the whole book. So you look for books that are patterned. Mercer Mayer, just for you, just for me and my grandma, just, you know, all kinds of them. Okay? If you look over my right shoulder, you'll see my attempt at it. Um, and, and there, it's based on what Bill Martin did, and it's taking Bible stories and Aesop fables and making them into early readers that they can read the whole book cover to cover. So how does that work? They read it, they listen to the parents read it two, two, three, four, five times, depends on the complexity of the story, and they can read it back. They, so they, and, and you want them to read with the normal speed. I would suggest that parents um, read a book at about 20 to 30 words a minute for a kid. Brown, bear, brown, bear, what do you see? And, the, and don't just, just do it once. And the kids will complain. They'll say, why are you doing it like that? Well, because the brain is made, the way God created us, we have to have language coming at a certain speed to comprehend it. If it's too slow, we don't get it. So with whole book success, you have them practice that book until they can read it at a normal speed with intonation and voice going up and down, uh, collapsing sentences to go together like... It came up one, once upon a time, it's like it's, you collapse it. And so it sounds more like an adult is reading it. Don't let them ever get away with the, uh, what I call barking at the print. They're not really reading it, okay? So it's those pattern books that build that. Mm -hmm. Then, um, so I've mentioned two things. I mentioned that we have books written by adults and illustrated by adults that are patterned. The other thing I mentioned is we have the art from a child and the language from a child. It's, it's dictation at first, the adults write it down, but it, it's still something they can read because we're going back to that main thing, how to make a go of reading. 
so they can read it after you've read it several times back to them because they dictated it. Okay. Then, then there is the time when we want uh, the art by an adult and the language by a child. So how do you do that? Go to the library and get wordless books. There's a number of them. And on the wordless books, you put, you either copy it and and so you have space at the bottom of the page, or you put just me post-it notes on the pages and you take dictation from the children and they tell you the words of the book. There is a new one coming out from one of my illustrators in December one, and it will and uh, it will you, when we talk later about my website and stuff, you can see it, but it's it's exactly that purpose. The space is left at the bottom to write the dictation or to type it and, um, and to put a label on there. But nevertheless, it is adult art and child language. So they have a better chance of reading it because they dictated it. I'm calling that wordless books for young uh, authors. Okay? Then there's the opposite. The opposite is adult language and child art. You with me on that? Okay, so yep. it's kind of a two by two matrix because the two things on a piece of paper are either done by an adult or they're done by a child. And we have four choices. So when you take adult language and child art, take the words to a song that the children like to sing. And every family's got that, particularly the, homes, the home educated kids. They've got that. They've got the songs that they like to hear and sing. You, you type that, the words of that song with one line per page and you staple it together into a booklet. And you say, I've got a booklet for you, but there's no art. So kid, that's your job. You're gonna do the art for me. So what do they do? They know the first line, so they, they illustrate it. Then they turn to page two and they can't read it. So what do they do? They go back to the beginning with the words of the song they know, get the momentum going, and they turn to page two and they know what it is. So they illustrate it. Then they come to page three, they can't read it. So they go back to the beginning, start over, and get the momentum going, they know what page three says, and they illustrate it. So now you've got a book that children can read because they illustrated it, they know the song, and they can read it. So I had an experience with my homeschool family. I got a, a call from Kelly. And uh, she said, um, my son, my kindergarten son said, it was, it was one of the books that are over my right shoulder. Okay. And one of those books. It's called uh, The Thirsty Crow. And she said, I can't convince Silas that he can read it. He told me he memorized it. So I said, okay, I'll be over. So within you know, an hour or so, because we're, we're a mile apart. So I went over. I said, okay, Silas, um, I want you to read The Thirsty Crow to me. So he had the book in his hand. And so I took my hand and I, I held my thumb and first finger and I held it closed. He said, I can't read it. How come? Well, you won't let me turn the pages. Well, you told your mom you had it memorized. So if you got it memorized, then you don't need, you don't need the book. It's memorized. I'll just hold the book closed because you've got it memorized. That's what you told mom. He said, well, I no, I guess I don't. Okay, so I opened it up so he could read it. Okay, so anyway, so he knew that he, he's reading it. He had to get the clues from the page to know what it said in order to read it. 
So it's all, that's that first thing is that um, I can make a go of reading. And how do they make a go of reading? It's not because what the parents say, it's what they hear with their own ears. They have to hear themselves reading close to how an adult reads or they're not going to believe it. Well, I think those are some really innovative ideas that I think my listeners are really going to love. Um, so I so appreciate that. I'm just going to point out something obvious, which is that uh, maybe it's obvious, <laughs> but I have a student doing piano lessons right now, and I didn't know that the lesson was uh, scheduled for this time. So I apologize. I'm going to mute myself while you are speaking so we shouldn't hear much of it okay so my next question for you and i'm excited to ask you this because your advice about reading was just so so clever and so excellent do you have advice for kids who are struggling with math as so many students do i do these are um the the uh Again, those people that influenced my life so greatly, the one that I learned the reading from, it was from her and from Bill Martin together, um, also th taught me the, the race games. And, and then it was another one of the eight that introduced me to the base 10 blocks. So the base 10 blocks are the most powerful math material there is. It is the, the one block, the 10, the 100, and the 1,000. And they're to scale. So sometimes people think they can save money by showing pictures of blocks and done work. Then they think they can save money by taking something like a poker chip and take a green poker chip and write a one on it and an orange poker chip and write a 10 on it and a green poker chip and write a hundred on it. It doesn't work. They've got to be to scale. They can see that it takes 10 ones to make a 10 block and 10 tens to make a hundred block. Okay. So the basic game, is that, and what the word to use is number sense. If we don't build a firm foundation, then they struggle with math. So the foundation is so very, very important. I have a friend that spent his life in uh, construction. So one time I just said, let's go get a cup of coffee. And he told me all the things that happen in a house if the, if the foundation is wrong. Well, the same thing happens to math if the foundation is wrong. So how do we build the foundation? And uh, Kelly has played this some with her daughter that's almost four, but clearly with the six and the nine-year-old. The, the the, all the race games are played with three players, three of them. There's a banker and there's two people racing for a race. And the basic game is race for a hundred block. That's it. The first person to get the 100 block is winner. Now, when you win the game, what do you get? Well, you get to be the banker the next time we play it. Okay. But the banker gets the ones, tens, and 100 block. It's by the banker. And you have blank dice. You don't want to use a one to six die. You'll never get to the 100. So we take blank dice and we label them with numbers like 15 or 12 or 8 or anything. But you're not limited to one to six. So... The first player rolls the die, and the banker gives them, said he rolled eight, eight one blocks. The next player rolls the die and rolls 12. 
The banker gives him a 10 block and two ones. Then it goes back to the first player rolls the die. And they roll five. So the banker gives them five ones. Then the banker says, okay, now here's our problem. You've got too many one blocks. You can't have that many. Every time you get 10 one blocks, you give them back to the banker and the banker gives you a 10. That's the whole game. The first person to trade in 10 tens for the 100 block wins. Okay. So Kelly, who I'm working with, she said, prior, Lee, prior to you teaching me the race games, I tried to teach my son who was in uh, first grade at that time. No, second grade at that time. Second I tried to teach him how to do addition with caring or regrouping, whichever word you use. He was confused, discouraged, and distraught. So I dropped it. And then we, uh, you taught me the race games. And so we played the race games. And then I went back to the, the caring. And so he built the first number with the blocks. He built the second number with the blocks. Put them all in one pile. I said, well, how many ones you got there? He said, 13. Hmm, what do you have to do when you have that many? I got to trade 10 of them in for a 10 block. He got it. He didn't have to teach, didn't have to teach anything. He understood it. That's how it works. Then there's another game, and it's called Go for Broke. So each player gets a 100 block. And whatever you roll, you have to give back to the banker. Well, you can't give the banker anything. You roll 12. And you got a hundred block. What are you going to do? Are you going to trade that hundred block in for some more tens? Then you got to trade one of the tens in for some ones. And then you can give the banker a ten and two ones. You with me on that? So it builds that foundation. Then we could race for two hundred. Well, the numbers are bigger. We uh, we uh, quickly go to race for a thousand block. But the numbers are like one hundred twenty, one hundred two. 75, 57, okay? But the first person to get the thousand block is the winner. Then we play with multiplication. You multiply the two numbers together. We play it with subtraction. You subtract the bigger number from the, the smaller number. We play it just for roll two dice and whichever one's the biggest, that's what you get. We play a game where one of them has a negative number. You have to give those back to the banker. You don't get it, you have to give them back to the banker. Um, you, you divide. Divide the smaller number into the larger number. If, it's a, if it comes out even, you get that many. If there's a remainder, then that's something you get. The remainder is what you get. Um, so lots of things with whole numbers. Then it goes to race for a week. So the banker has base 10 blocks, again. And the banker has strips of tag board or something that say Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. And has another piece, it says on it, one week. You roll the die, and the banker gives, <clears throat> banker gives you hours. When you get 24 hours, you trade them in for Sunday. 24 more, you trade it in for Monday. First person to get all seven days, trades them for a week, and they're the winner. <clears throat> so it goes on. We race for gallons, five gallons. We race for, we race for fractions. Um... <clears throat> It's all of it. And they get that understanding in a game. Um, <clears throat> Kelly's husband's on the staff at my church. I mentioned, I think I mentioned that. And so his day off is Friday. And so the, 
Often, the kids look forward to dad being home for Friday for lots of reasons, but one being he loves to play race games with them. So he's involved with it. There's no preparation on his part. It's all set. And he can sit down with the kids and play the race games. And then they get harder and harder. So the control the adult has is what you write on the dice. Because if, if they think it's boring, it's only because the numbers are too, too small. So let's take race for a week. I played that with uh, 10 year olds. What we, what we put on the dice? We didn't put a numeral, just even. We put um, one and two thirds day. Okay? Uh, then we put <clears throat> uh, five sixths of a day. Well, five sixths, what's, how many hours is that? Well, figure it out, five sixths of 24. You with me on that? So you, you make it harder and harder. We play race for a million dollars with play money. So that's the foundation. Once we have the foundation, <clears throat> then we're ready to go into all of the mathematics and they will learn it far faster than they would have learned trying to <clears throat> just teach the rules. I, I love John Maxwell's writing and <clears throat> one of his favorite, uh, my favorite quotations is, um, the, sh the longest distance between two points is a, is a shortcut. And much of what we do in math is a shortcut. People figured this out centuries ago. So we teach them what they struggled with and then we teach them the shortcut and the kids don't get it. So it takes forever. So they're struggling with math because they lack the foundation. Then there's more than that, obviously, but <clears throat> that is... That's the, that's the problem, almost always, that the foundation's not there. Well, I completely agree. And I've had a discussion with parents, too, about the importance of memorizing math facts in addition to understanding the, um, the basics of yes. math. As you're saying, you know, what, what is the base um, for these different forms of measurement. You, you absolutely have to understand that, but you cannot do higher math if you have to think for 30 seconds what five times six is. It, yes. it, it just will not work, right? <laughs> right? Yeah, so I also work, was working with a homeschool family on fluency. And we have quizzes that they take, but they're different than the normal quizzes. But what's really different is they graph the total correct. So let's take the third grade. There's 30 uh, problems there, add, subtract, multiply. There, uh, it's time for two minutes, no matter what the grade level, they go from kindergarten to grade, uh, well, the kindergarten's not time, but the first grade through eighth are time for two minutes. But the difference is they graph uh, how many they got right. So the competition is they're competing against their former self. Uh, in the book you see behind you, it says how to create a perfect school. It's for classrooms. It's not homeschool. It's for classrooms. And there's a chapter entitled, um, If You Behave After Lunch, You Can Have Another Quiz. Well, the, the teacher, fifth grade, um, she knew that they were, they were going to behave after lunch. It was a smart mouth way of saying yes. 
What were they asking for? Another, they were asking for another fluency quiz. So when have you ever heard kids ask for another fluency quiz? Well, the psychology is different with what we've done because they're just trying to do better and better and better than they've done before. Uh, now, Kelly, that I've talked about, she read that book before we started working together. And she knew that chapter was there. But it didn't mean anything to her. Until her son said, my favorite part of homeschool is taking quizzes and graphing. Can you imagine that? That's his favorite thing. That, that, I've, that is common in my background, whether it's classrooms or home. That's their favorite thing. And because they're trying to do better than ever before. Now, it was hard in the beginning for them to realize, okay, there's 30 questions on this time quiz. You're supposed to know all 30 by the end of the school year, not now. So if you get five right, and we just started the year, I'm, I'm proud of you. And next year you get six, it's an all-time best. It takes them a while to realize the idea isn't to, be, to get 100%. The idea is to do better than you've ever done before. And then, in the homeschool family, there's a, the first grader and the third grader both have four quizzes a week. Um, the, 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 uh, the third grader has math fluency, math standards, um, the states, know, knowing where the states are. And, um, you know, I'm not, I'm sure I can't recall the fourth one right now. I know that the, he used to have dope sight words, but the first grader has dope sight words. And so with that, there's a big bucket of words and you pull out 10 at random and you say, find the ones you can read and read them to me. And they graph how many they got. You put all those back in the bucket. Next week, pull out 10 at random, find the ones you can read and read them to me. And he got his first 10, all 10 out of 10, just recently. Having done this all through the school year as it started. So, and then, in a school, there's a graph for the whole class. So the only thing that goes on the wall is the total for the whole class. We don't put anything on the wall to compare kid to kid. Which is why so many kids don't like the math fluency because they, they can see that they're a loser, or at least they're not winning, okay? So we don't ever do that in classrooms where I work, but the total, we add it up. So what do you do in the homeschool? We call it a family run chart. And so the total from the four of one boy and the four of the other boy are put together into graphs, the total, total correct on all eight quizzes. And that is a joy for them when the family does better than ever before. So, that's a long answer. <laughs> well, I, I like, yeah, yeah. fluency is, is crucial. Mm -hmm. I don't know, it's not a foundation, but it's a key to future success also. Oh, for sure, for sure. Um, you cannot do advanced mathematics if you don't know your math facts. Just like, just like you cannot read a chapter book if you cannot, you know, if you cannot, um, uh, just, I, I cannot even think of the word right now, but if you cannot take the language and decipher it and understand yes. that it's a word and it has a meaning. So, yes. yes. So that, that is definitely yes. what I meant. And I think we're on the same page. And um, the experiments that I have done in the area of productivity 
tell me that what you are advocating for is highly likely to be successful because you're really gamifying education. It's very motivating. Even if we are only trying to improve our own scores with you know what we have learned and what we can recall. So I, I love that. And so your book is How to Create a Perfect Homeschool. Do you have yes. other ideas, games, practices for other topic areas in the yes. book? Well, in the book, there's uh, obviously the reading, the writing, and the math. There's a, there is a, a, if you look under Lyle Lee Jenkins at Amazon, and just there's a, there's a lot of things in, in production. Years ago, I wrote with another uh, with a friend, math books. One with base ten blocks, one pattern blocks, geo blocks. The publishers died of old age. They've been out of print twenty years. Um, I I always wanted them back in print. I didn't have a reason. But then, with how to create a perfect homeschool, I knew I couldn't write that book if the math I knew was not available. And then there's the reading books over my right shoulder. Okay, those are there. And then there's a, a creative book is for the spelling. There's a language arts book that's coming. Um, my, my brother is writing a book on <clears throat> uh, just Bible background for kids. Uh, 120 events with a page per event. My favorite is, um, he's wrote three, three things per event. So, Tower of Babel, he wrote me a text. Lee, how do you write three things about Tower of Babel? Well, then he wrote it. He said, people make decisions. People can leave God out of the decision. It doesn't work out so well. Okay, so that's, and it, actually the, the, the market for that is homeschool and then Bible teachers in the Christian schools is the home. Is, so there are, there are lots of resources. It, it's, it's going to be about 50, including the quizzes that I mentioned, the children's books, the wordless books, the math books, um, all to support how to create a perfect homeschool. There's a book, the last chapter is the Bible. And we use the reference um, in John uh, where Jesus said, you are the branches, I'm the vine. So the introduction to chapter 16 says, we spent 15 chapters having you build the best branches possible. Now chapter 16 is for you to connect the branches you've developed to the vine. And so it's the climax. Um, if you, if you, I don't know if you can see on the perfect school behind my shoulder, Jack Canfield, who did the Chicken Soup for the Soul books, wrote the foreword as a former uh, English teacher. And the, and the How to Create a Perfect Homeschool, the foreword's by his partner, Mark Victor Hansen, who's a strong advocate for home education. And so that's the foreword there. He did a great job. It's, I received the day, the uh, in, interior to proofread, it's all been set like a, like a book. So it will be available December 1. But <clears throat> um, yeah, my purpose is not, is to give people ideas they can use now. The book will reinforce it. But when you ask Melanie about that, there's a chapter on history, there's a chapter on the arts, there's a chapter on science. We try to take it all um, and put it in there. Well, that's excellent. And um, I will definitely include a link 
to the book on Amazon. Is it going to be available anywhere else? It will be uh, on uh, in you know, Barnes and Noble, you know, and and Walmart. So it's because the book goes on Amazon for retail. It goes to Ingram for wholesale. Mm-hmm. And so any any of these people who sell books buy it from Ingram wholesale to sell it retail. So yeah, it, it's, it'll be available in all those locations. Okay, wonderful. Is there another easy way for my listeners to connect with you if they have any questions for you? Yes, they can. My email address is four letters. Okay. L-T-O-J. L-T-O-J. Yes, Lee at L-T-O-J.net. It's because my work is called L-T-O-J. I don't need to explain why that. It's not, it happens to be my initials, yes, but that's not the, it's, it's, it's the, it's the graph behind it, and I don't need to explain that, but it's lee at l2j.net, and I would love to hear from people, and we'll respond. It's uh, enjoyable for me, sure. so yes, and they can ask questions, um, details, you know, if, if I can't, if the, de- if the question's detailed, and it takes too much time to answer it, I might just take a chapter from the book and copy that chapter and send it to them. <laughs> So that so they get the the answer that they're looking for without without me trying to write it all over again. Right. Yeah. <laughs> well, that would save you some time probably. Well, yeah. thank you so much. Well, I am excited to see this book. I it sounds like it will be a wonderful resource for homeschoolers. I am all about having games and practical activities that make learning motivating for kids. I am a big proponent of that. And so I just thank you so much for writing the book and sharing more with us today. You're, you're welcome. And the thrill has to come from the learning. Mm-hmm. You know, when, when homeschool's at its worst, then it's do these boring work pages from Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday, and Friday we get to go t- to the zoo. No, <laughs> no, the, just what you said, Melanie, I agree with you completely. The, the thrill has to come from the learning. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much. Well, you're welcome. Thank you. You're, you've got a great, you're all set up here nicely. It's been wonderful to, to be with you and, and your audience. And you've got a lot of followers, I know. So been great. Best to you. To find Lee's book and connect with him, you can also visit the show notes page at homeschoolsanity.com slash motivatinglearners. Have a happy homeschool week. Thank you for joining me on the journey to homeschool sanity. I would love to continue the conversation. You can find me on social media at homeschool sanity. And if you haven't heard it lately, let me remind you, you're doing a great job. This has been a production of the Ultimate Homeschool Radio Network.